The Lord supervises these things. I didn't pick that song. But it's very fitting connection to what I plan to talk about this morning. That uh, place of difficulty and the right response, which is to look up to the Lord. I wanted to begin with this question. It's printed in your bulletin, in the book of Hebrews. Oh, I left my Bible down here. What we're going to do this morning is conclude our study of the book of Hebrews. with a so what and uh, the word this is going to lead us to review what we maybe should have learned <laughs> but I want to start with this question in the next few years just looking ahead over the next five years or so or ten Do you think it's going to get harder or easier to live as a Jesus person in this world? I personally think it's going to get harder. Of course, we don't really know. But the book of Hebrews takes place in the context of this question situation in which believers in the setting to which this book was addressed had every reason to think it was going to get way harder to be a person bearing the name of Jesus in this world. Now, Jesus told his apostles and us that that should be our expectation in general it says, look, if the world hates you, hates me, it will hate you if you're with me. So it, he literally said, don't let it surprise you when that happens. Now, what a lot of Christians want to do is try to fix the world so that it won't impose any more suffering on us. Well, I don't object too strongly. If you want to try to fix the world, have at it. I think the world needs fixing, and we might as well do the good thing wherever we find it to be done. But here's how the world will be fixed. Jesus is coming back. And the world will continue until then in various states of unfixed and not friendly to those who associate themselves with Jesus. So, the book of Hebrews 
one reason it's in the Bible is to address that problem. Christians, when they confront hardship, even the relatively minor hardship of uh, people thinking a little bit less of them, because of their association with Jesus, Christians often downplay their association with Jesus in order to avoid that suffering. It's a kind of a natural impulse. We, we naturally shy away from anything painful. And so if someone uh, gives you one of the, really? You're a Christian? There's still Christians in the world? Well, that doesn't do you any actual, actual harm other than to realize that people think that way. Well, okay, that hurts a little. But it's a natural tendency to avoid that. So sometimes, even in that sort of little persecution, well, now I know not to bring that up with that guy. And I downplay my association with Jesus. The book of Hebrews is written to address that impulse. The book of Hebrews, I'm going to try to summarize the message of the book of Hebrews. Downplay your association with Jesus? What? <laughs> That's the book of Hebrews. Downplay your association with Jesus? That makes no sense. Because the message of the book of Hebrews is something like, do you remember who he is? Do you remember what he has done? Do you remember what he promises to do? What person can you imagine it would be a higher privilege to be associated with than Jesus? That's a summary of the message of the book of Hebrews. That a recognition of the privilege that is yours in your union with Christ, a recognition of that privilege will lead you to persevere in the bold association with His name. Like, yeah, I know him. 
we talk on a regular basis. It's amazing. And so this book addresses our sort of natural tendency to shy away from His name. So, I want to start by talking about what can you get out of our study of the book of Hebrews? Because now we've done it. We're, we're finished. What should someone get out of their study of the book of Hebrews? Well, the main thing is that you know Jesus. Oh, for heaven's sake, you know Jesus. Can you believe it? It's mind-blowing and good to be united to Christ. Well, here's some other things you can get out of our study from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews changes, Hebrews changes or could change how you read the whole Bible. In fact, my belief is the book of Hebrews is something like the key thing in the correct understanding of all Scripture. Hebrews pulls it all together. Hebrews tells you what Adam and Eve are for. And Hebrews tells you what the book of Revelation is about. It should change the way you read every text of the Bible. It does it like this. The Bible is the story of Jesus. The whole thing from in the beginning God created the world to even so come quickly Lord Jesus. The whole thing is His story. This is reported to us in the book of Hebrews which says through Him, through the Son, through the eternal Son made flesh, the Lord Jesus, He created everything through Him. So He's the the beginning of everything. And it says He's also the heir of all things. So He's the conclusion of the story. So He's the, the beginning of the story. He's the end of the story. And He carries everything from the beginning to the end. He, uh, What's the way the so we just read this text. Sorry, i got to look it up to quote it correctly. This is all in chapter 1. Passage we just read. Through He's appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. He's the radiance of His glory. He's the exact representation of His nature. And upholds all things by the word of His power. Now that word upholds literally means carries. He carries everything by the word of His power. And so how do we get from creation to consummation? The Lord Jesus carries us from that to there. So here's something you could learn. This is how it changes your reading of the Bible. 
the Bible is not about you. Here's how most of us modern Christians read the Bible. We pretend it's about us. We have been told by people like me that the Bible is like your owner's manual for life. Uh, no, it isn't. It's not. It's about him. It's not about you. Now, will you find the Bible useful for wisdom and correct living? Yes. But that's not what it's about. And there are some passages you can read in the Bible, and if you try to make them about you, all you're going to do is misinterpret them. Because they're not about you. They're about Him. Now, here's how the Bible is related to you. In Him. Because He is the revelation of God. Because He is one of us. Because He reconciles us to the living God. And so we are drawn into the story of Him. But we need to keep us straight whose story it is. Now I'm telling you, when you read the Bible with this in your head, it will change how you read the Bible. It's the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God's self-revelation, and God is a God who displays himself, who reveals himself, who shows himself. And God's self-revelation is personal. That's what we just read in Hebrews 1. He has spoken to us at various times in various ways through the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us in, not through, in his Son. The Lord Jesus, the eternal Son made flesh, is the speech of God. It's personal. God doesn't just talk. He showed up in person in Jesus. And so this changes how I read the Bible. It's not just about doctrine. It certainly is about that. It's not just about history. It is a story. It's not just moral instruction, though it certainly has plenty of that. And it's not a devotional guide, which is how we typically want to use it. It's the story of Jesus. It is the story of the eternal Son of God made flesh to represent God in your view where you can see Him. And now we see Him, even the personal Son made flesh in the text. So when you read the Bible, it's personal matter. It's between persons. It's like having a meeting 
So, this is something you can get out of our study of the book of Hebrews. It changes how you read the whole Bible. The second thing is this. Hebrews shows us the supreme privilege we have in our union with Christ. Perhaps I've already mentioned that. It shows us the supreme privilege. And when I say supreme, I mean supreme. I don't mean just a really high privilege among other high privileges. I mean the privilege of all privileges. To be in union with the Lord Jesus Christ is the best thing that has ever happened to you or could. The best. And nothing is close. All other privileges you might have experienced in this life don't get off the floor compared to the privilege of knowing Christ. It is the supreme privilege. The God of all ages, the eternal one, the creator, if you go out at night and look up and see if you can tell how far away those stars are, that God became one of us. And you, by his sacrifice, can be introduced into the very presence of the living God. I think that's better than shaking the hand of the king. I mean the king of Netherlands. Or the president or any other important person you might know. His, he is preeminent over all things. That's what we read in the text. The other thing we see in this privilege of our union with Christ is his humility. His loving service. In fact, when we studied the book of John, we learned that the glory of God is shining on the cross ultimate humiliation is the lifting up of the Son of God. God is a deep person. And so, the loving sacrifice of Christ, oh my goodness, can you think of anything more spectacular then the love of Christ and the love of God displayed in the love of Jesus on the cross. There's nothing higher than that. And there's nothing lower. <laughs> it blows your mind. And Hebrews shows who we are dealing with. It shows his leadership in human nature. His leadership in human nature. The scripture says the purpose of the human creation is to bear the image of God. What we're supposed to do is show God in the created universe. 
you know, like I, I used to illustrate this with something like a G.I. Joe. Do you know what a G.I. Joe is? If you're American, you know what a G.I. Joe is. Sorry. But a G.I. Joe is a little action figure, we now call them. We used to call them dolls. But now we call them action figures. This is supposed to make boys more interested. But anyway, the, the action figure G.I. Joe is, a, is an American soldier toy. He bears the image of an American soldier. He's not actually an American soldier, but he bears the image of one. We are created to bear the image of God. And when something is created to bear the image of God, it can't be made of plastic. It has to be alive. It has to be a person. And it has to be a person in fellowship with other persons. And so, our G.I. Joe is quite a bit more, more sophisticated than, you know, the, the plastic doll G.I. Joe. But what does it mean to be a human being? Well, the Lord God, the eternal Son, the, the creator of all things, became one. <laughs> Do you know that you are a much bigger deal than you think you are? Because you bear the image of God. And what Jesus is, the man, the man, it says in the book of Hebrews, he is the exact representation of God's nature in a human being. Good grief, how's that even possible? But that's who we're dealing with. That's who you know. That model of humanity. And his model of humanity includes his walking day by day in faith. He trusted God. He walked in open fellowship with God so that he says in John, I don't do anything except what the Father is doing. Amazing model. And then, we have to mention his great high priesthood, <laughs> his representation of us before the throne of God, his in the, in the actual temple, in the presence of the actual presence of God. Jesus brings his sacrifice on our behalf, his atoning sacrifice, his sacrifice that actually deals with our sin and death. That priesthood, and that priesthood that continues to this day because He is risen. Because He gave His life a sacrifice for sin and rose and ever lives as our high priest. Every day, I'm sure it takes me two or three minutes before I've sinned again. And at every moment of every day, whenever I am wrong, He represents me before God saying, 
He's with me. I died for him. He is in. Even when I have no idea I've done anything out of place. His priesthood for us is past our imagination. So Hebrews changes how you read the Bible. Hebrews shows us the supreme privilege of union with Christ, and Hebrews shows us the door Jesus has opened. For us to go into the presence of the living God without fear. To be welcomed as beloved children and not rebels. To be judged. Hebrews says over and over, draw near, draw near, come on in, doors open. Then, because of all these things, Hebrews shows us the insanity of shying away from Jesus to avoid any temporal suffering. Like, once you notice this stuff, it's like, oh, well, that is really stupid, isn't it? To shy away from Jesus is to shy away from life. It's just unbelievably dumb. Now, we are unbelievably dumb, so we can do it, but Hebrews comes in and says, Jesus, do you remember who you're dealing with? And finally, Hebrews exhorts us in all these things to operate as a band of brothers in a hostile world. Hebrews says, watch out for your brother. (laughs) Watch out lest any of us fail. Strengthen the things that remain. That's That's a reference to Watch out for somebody who's, have, who's struggling in the race. Carry them. I thought it would be good to conclude all this with a list of the things where the book of Hebrews uses this phrase, let us. Let us. These are sort of like mild commandments. In light of this, if this is true, here's how anyone should operate. Let us. Let us strive. This is in chapter 4. Well, 3 and 4. Let us strive to enter the rest of God in Jesus. And so we had this comparison of entering the promised land and how Israel went right up to boundary of the promised land and then said it's kind of scary in there and the writer of Hebrews oh don't make that mistake especially now now that it's it's not a piece of property it's the Lord himself 
Enter the rest. Enter the rest. If you want to work hard on something, if you need to strive in your Christian life, strive to rest. I said to someone recently, I think there's one word that summarizes pretty much everything it means to be a Christian. Now, some of you, I hope, are saying prayer. But this is another word for that. Rest. Here's what it means to be a Christian. Stop. Jesus. He's got me. I am safe. Rest to live in a position of security and provision because that is your actual position. Rest in Christ. Now that doesn't mean sit around all day. That doesn't advocate couch potato hood. In fact, he might expend more energy in resting in Christ. But you rest in Christ. The second let us is hold fast our confession. Hang on to our confession. Or what do we say? What we say is hope in Jesus. So the book of Hebrews uses that expression sometimes in association with the word confession, the confession of our hope. Hold fast. Take a tight grip on our confession of our hope in Christ. What is it that you have to look forward to? He is coming. Now, you might have some other little things you're looking forward to. But they are nothing like that. The hope, our confession of the hope, of our hope in Christ, our forward-looking faith. This next one is draw near. <laughs> draw near. Let us draw near. In full assurance, in total confidence, like it said in, I think, in chapter 7, uh, it said, come boldly. No, this is at the end of chapter 4. We come boldly before the throne of grace. We come, that word boldly, with confidence, it also means to, like with total openness. It's in the context where the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and basically lays everything open before God. You know, there aren't any secrets before God. Whatever you're ashamed of, he's already got a more complete knowledge of it than you. He's already put that in Christ. And so whatever's troubling you, like the psalm we sang, Lord, where'd you go? What I, you know how the Lord sometimes seems absent? Oh, whatever those things are, whatever it is, whatever little thing it is, whatever big thing it is, coming boldly means 
I drag all that stuff in there with me and I share it with Him. And I find grace, grace, mercy. The next let us is consider one another. It's in chapter 10, let us consider one another. This is the band of brothers. This means you also are in union with Christ, you lucky dog. And you might look a little discouraged. And so I'm going to put my arm around you and say, hey, remember, (laughs) you're associated with Jesus. You are one of His. How did you get to be so fortunate? And so we run together. All of these things say, let us. (coughs) Us. Us. If you think you're going to Fight all these impulses to shy away when the world gets hard on you by yourself? Well, come and see me when that plays out. Because you need us. We need us. And that means this is not a room of chastisement. This is a room of encouragement. Now, sometimes encouragement is, has a bit of swift kick to it. But it's a room of encouragement. It is not a room of condemnation because the Scripture is quite clear. There is no, none of that available. And so, the Scripture says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly, but encouraging one another. And more and more, as the day of Jesus coming back gets closer and closer. Consider one another. Then he says in chapter 12, let us lay aside, let us lay aside anything that hinders our pursuit of Jesus. Lay aside is really interesting. It means just let go of it. Come on now, just drop that. If you were uh, in the airport and you saw, if you'll pardon the expression, a little old lady struggling with her bag and obviously in a hurry, maybe she's a little bit late to her gate. What would you want to do? Let me have that. That's clearly impeding your progress. Let me carry that. This is part of the grace and mercy and help we find in the presence of God in Christ. The Lord Jesus says, uh, hand it over. And so if something is holding you back in your pursuit of Him, Just drop it. If you need it, he'll pick it up. Just drop it. Just let it go. Come on now. Do you you want to be slow in 
finding Christ. Lay it aside. Now, of course, one of the things that can hinder us is sin. What do you do with sin? Oh, we want to belabor this. I love the way Hebrews does not belabor this. Has Jesus dealt with your sin? Yeah. Once and for all, completely and for good. So drop it. Let it go. Let it go. That's what this text says. We lay aside the anything that's holding every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us. If you wake up tomorrow, if you're halfway through the day tomorrow, and you realize, oh man, I'm, I've done it again. Well, then you should agonize about that for about five or six weeks and determine to quit that. And no, it's dealt with already. Let it go. Let it go. Now, that means, say, you got to confess. I mean, you acknowledge it. You go, oh, uh, dummy. Why am I behaving in a way Jesus died to save me from? Let it go. And run after Jesus. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The race is not a race of good deeds. It is a race of faith. Good deeds are the happy byproduct of faith. Love, being a loving person is the happy consequence of being well-loved. And so you pursue Christ by faith. You look to Him. You don't try to drum it up yourself. You know there's a provider. Run after Jesus, the model of faith. It's kind of like this. There's a famous question, what would Jesus do? And I personally find that to be unbearable. Because first of all, you're not going to know what Jesus would do in your situation. Because you're a moral numbskull. And second of all, even if you knew what Jesus would do, you won't be able to do it. What would Jesus do is like walking up to a golf ball and saying, what would Tiger Woods do? Well, if you could figure it out, it might help, but you probably won't be able to do it. What's the right question? The right question is, if these things are true, what will I do? What is made possible by the promises of God in Christ? If the promises of God in Christ are true, what can I do? And therefore, what do I want to do? 
You see how grace shifts us from what you better do to what I really want. And it's the same list. I run after Christ, the race of faith. And so I find in Christ the provision of the promises of God, which make it possible for me to exhibit the sacrificial love he has shown to me. What could be better than this? What could be better than this? The last let us is let us go out to him bearing his reproach, bringing the sacrifice of praise. Worship. 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 We worship in spirit and in truth. We belong to our sweet Savior. That's worship. When I say, I am yours, that's worship. That's Romans 12.1. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, your spiritual service of worship. I say, sweet Savior, I am yours. Thank God. We go out to Him, bearing His reproach. So, going out to Him, associating with Him, being called by His name will bring some difficulty. Awesome. You know that's what the apostles said, right? The very first time they went before the Sanhedrin and the Sanhedrin was debating whether or not to kill them too. And instead of killing them, they said, well, yeah, we maybe we've made one too many martyrs already. So they just had them beaten. And that was no light beating. They had them beaten. And as they were leaving... You remember what the scripture says about them? They rejoiced that they had been considered worthy to suffer in some way anything like the way he suffered. Go out to him bearing his reproach. Know the privilege. Know the privilege. Another way I sometimes summarize the book of Hebrews is like this. Whatever your problem is, your problem is inadequate consideration of Jesus. If you are one of His, you need to live in that reality. You need to try to bear that in mind. <laughs> well, that's not like a rule you have to follow. It's an opportunity you have. You, if you're one of His, you can live every day in the safety and security of His promises, in the greatness of His provision, so that even when you're starving to death, you're full. And I mean that literally. There are people in this world today who are really suffering for the name in ways much more significant than, well, anything I face, I can't speak for you. They know this maybe a little better than I do. And so we pursue Him. This is the great, great, amazing good fortune 
that we have because we are in Christ. Let's not forget. Let's remind each other. Let's get together every Sunday morning at about 9 o'clock and rejoice in the great goodness of our God and be transformed in the process. What an amazing privilege. Father, thank you for this. Lord, we know we're forgetful. So we ask for the ministry of the Spirit. We ask for the ministry of the body of Christ that we might really fix our eyes on Christ. Run with endurance the race set before us. That we might always consider our great Savior. We pray in His name. Amen.